0: Want to take a journey into the weird, the strange, and the unexplained? Then stick around. The adventure's about to begin. Welcome to In the Dark with David Kirk. Rising up from the ashes like a phoenix, In the Dark is indeed back. I'm your host, David Kirk, here to take you on a journey through the strange, the weird, and the unexplained. We have been on a two-month hiatus, but now I'm back, and better than ever. And let me take a short few moments here to explain to everybody what In the Dark is, because I am sure that we are picking up a lot of new listeners now that I am uh, putting the shows on YouTube and iTunes. So, In the Dark, to put it simply, is a podcast that gives a format to people uh, that might not have a format to discuss their topics on. We really do not discriminate here. If you have an interesting story or uh, topic that you want to discuss, we would be more than willing to have you on. It's really all fair game here, whether it's aliens, uh, Bigfoot, government cover-ups, government conspiracies, really anything. It's fair game one in the dark, and tonight is no different As we come back from our long two month break, our first guest is. Our first guest back, I should say, is going to be William Ramsey. He is the author of Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crawley, 9 11, and the New World Order, as well as Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in West Memphis Three Murders. He is also a producer and director of the documentaries Occult Hollywood, Volume 1, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order, as well as holding a BA in history from the University of California at Berkeley. He is also a member of the State Bar of California. William, thank you for coming on In the Dark tonight.
1: Great. Thank you for having me on.
0: So we mainly had you come on tonight to discuss the West Memphis Three murders, which are certainly a very interesting case, but it's nearly 20 years old, so everybody listening to this show might not be familiar with it. Can you kind of just give us a short synopsis of the West Memphis Three case and who uh, exactly are the West Memphis Three?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a murder took place in west memphis which is a city across the mississippi river from memphis tennessee uh it was uh may 5th 1993 three young boys who were eight years old went out on an evening ride and did not come home and uh horrifically their bodies were found the next day drowned in a ditch and uh it, it created a national uproar up, uproar that people didn't know you know who did it and um uh, Eventually, the focus of the local police uh, was these three kids who became known as the West Memphis Three. Their names are Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly. And they, uh, there were allegations of occultism and Satanism involved in the case. They uh, had a trial, and the trial was separated because Jesse Miss Kelly confessed. And so he, his information was not used against the other two anyway, there were two different jury trials unanimously found them guilty and sentenced the jury who the jury thought was the ringleader Damien Eccles to death, and the other two got life in, in jail plus twenty years but during the trial, HBO sent out a documentary filmmaking uh, crew to record as much uh, information as they could and it became a movie called Paradise Lost and it actually grew to uh, three movies and uh, because of those movies, it, there was a groundswell of public opinion that believed that these three uh, the West Memphis Three were innocent uh, against what was happening in the state of Arkansas. and the, the due to involvement of celebrities such as Johnny Depp, Peter Jackson who directed The Lord of the Rings, and not only their involvement but their financial support, uh, there was a growing opposition to the decisions made in this in the state of Arkansas mm-hmm. that resulted in the uh, release of the West Memphis Three in August of two thousand and eleven. They took what's called an offer plea where they uh professed their innocence publicly but signed on as guilty and uh, so they uh, got out and uh there's been some occultist or occultism involvement after their release. I came on to this case. Because of my interest in Alistair Crowley, my first book was essentially a biography of him, and how his ideas and how his kind of philosophy affected the New World Order and 9/11 and the Illuminati, uh, if you want to term it that, or Satanists. And so I came across, a, and, and Alistair Crowley was an issue in the original trial back in 1993. I came across a clip, excuse me, I came across a clip on YouTube. Uh, where the prosecutor is quizzing the kind of central character, Damian Eccles, about Alistair Crowley. And that kind of piqued my interest, and I really started researching the case. This is you know early or mid-2012, so I I really just assumed that they were innocent and they got out because of something. So I started reading the case. Now, this case has been very well uh, looked at and recorded. There is a a great case archive at uh, a website called www kcom so I was able to go back and look at all the uh, information that the police garnered and all the legal proceedings and after reading that, I was shocked because there really was a glaring amount of witchcraft and double worship involved in the case and uh, I didn't think that they were innocent they were actually really were guilty uh, against what I was hearing in the media. Uh, because after these guys got out, they went on kind of what the Central Character went on a whirlwind tour of media uh, assets on almost every talk show, and it drafted a book that professed his innocence, and most people believed it.
0: Damien so
1: a Yeah, Damien Echols, correct. So I took a uh, contrary position, and I wasn't alone. I really came to this case rather late, but I think just I, what I thought I added to the case was my knowledge of the occult that I had garnered from my first book. And my studies in the occult of Hollywood, and and there really is a an element of the Satanism or occultism of of Hollywood and the people involved there in this case that are sympathetic to uh, somebody who was found guilty not once but twice at law for the murder of uh, three eight-year-olds. So it's really an amazing, shocking, disturbing case. And the one of the um, interesting things is it's still ongoing. There's still b- fights. On web chat boards and websites about guilt or innocence, uh, the central character moved to Salem, Massachusetts, where the original witch trials, colonial witch trials, took place. And so it has a this this kind of tale has a lot of component of working parts. It's really a saga built in of chapters. There also were in the involvement of some excellent lawyers and forensic uh, doctors and. FBI profiles in this case, James Douglas, uh, Michael Badden, who's on TV all the time talking about cases, and another guy who is a great appellate attorney named Dennis Reardon from San Francisco, probably one of the best in the country. So this case has gotten an incredible amount of press, and uh, it's very—it's a very public case, and it's just uh, I took the position that there really was occultism involved in the case, and that the, as West Memphis 3 are guilty. I'm 100% convinced of that.
0: Hasn't Damien Eccles just come out and admitted that he is a, a Satan worshiper?
1: I'm not sure if he's actually open admitted it, but he's spent time with so many of, I mean, it's very odd that somebody who was convicted of killing three kids in a satanic kind of sacrifice or ritual would go, after his release, would go out and spend time with kind of the leading lights of Satanism in our country right now. One of them he, he's associated with is Marilyn Manson, uh, who's the head of uh, that band, who is essentially, you know, he was also part of the Church of Satan, and uh, he's taking pictures of him. He went to some uh, Golden Gods award show in Hollywood where he annou- uh, Damien Eccles announced something. He's also spent time with a really long-term kind of satanic revolutionary by the name of Genesis P. Orridge who has been around for decades and uh, is a, a transhumanist of all things he embarked on something called a pandrogyny project uh, project with his wife where they both become became one human entity by a- adjusting their sexual organs i guess is one so it's just it's just incredible what he's been doing since being out and he's he's exhibited and manifested so many elements of the occult in his actions, his tweets I'll talk about how he bathes in the moon. Uh, he plays around with the tarot. He believes in the seasons. I mean, all the things that, like on the witch holidays, he's, he's affected by. He's tattooed his body with all types of occult markers and secret society uh, slow, insignia. So... I don't. I haven't heard that he openly admitted he was a Satanist, but if you know of that link or where that is, I would love to read that.
0: Well, it was. It was just a uh, a video I saw that uh, he was known before he, these murders happened. That he was known around town as a Satan worshiper.
1: And and yeah, that's true. And that's what one of the things that they covered up. A lot of that wasn't dealt with in some of the public discussions and the follow-on uh, documentaries, but. When I looked at the police file, it was fairly clear that he was known as a Satan worshiper, that he said, he said, told people, you know, Satan tells me what to do and I do it. Um, he was into drinking blood. He was violent. He used to keep a, a group of like animal skulls. He was known for killing animals. So he'd keep animal skulls that he bleached in his room. He had all kinds of interests in uh, satanic books. So you know the the evidence for him being involved in the occult was very very strong and i included that in my book so
0: yeah i, mean, I don't usually like to judge a book by its cover so to speak but i mean this guy just ha- seems to have an aurora about him uh, of just creepy you know yeah. I mean, um he just he just seems like evil but wh- why do you think hollywood was so eager to you know come to their defense what was in it for them
1: that's a great question i think that you know, there's a whole bunch of different, like, themes or memes that are involved in this. A lot of Hollywood people have an idea of they want to fight for the little guy and fight against, you know, what they perceive as oppressive power. Um, and I think that that was kind of like this this idea that was sent out, like, these are poor kids. And they really were poor kids. I mean, they lived in trailers. They were not, they didn't, uh, Damien Eccles was held back twice in high school. So, I mean, there's, there's a theme there that you could latch onto of him being a dispossessed you know, uh, unfortunate kid, but, you know, sadly they overlooked the fact that he was very aggressive and had a very detailed and lengthy police file and mental history file. So I think that for Hollywood, they, 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 you know, after he'd been in jail, he became a different person. I mean, you can't go out and do what he was doing before. And he had us you know, sympathetic people working with him and they put out this, you know, fable that I think Hollywood people attached to it. Now I think there's another side to that too, is that some of the others know, full well that Damien Eccles is a hardcore occultist and I think those people also were, were sympathy, sympathetic with him so I think there's two, really two camps of supporters those that really know that he's uh, essentially a witch and some that believe this kind of feeling that you know Arkansas was this hick town and they're a bunch of toothless hillbillies you just had to blame it on somebody you know and these just don't don't under scrutiny those types of that those fables don't hold up. This case was appealed uh, multiple times, so things went to the Arkansas Supreme Court and they looked over the whole case. Uh, there were two juries that came to unanimous conclusions. They signed their guilty plea again in 2011, so they admitted guilt. And uh, Damien Eccles, you know, he had a death sentence. His attorney appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States, which did not, you know, is a writ of certiorari, is what it's called. It's a writ for them to look at it, and they denied that writ. So at least they had an idea of the case, but they didn't see any wrongdoing or anything that was, you know, actionable in the state court. So, you know, once you kind of look at the course, the real authentic uh, procedures or what happened in the, the court cases, it's hard to believe that, you know, he didn't get his due two, two process rights.
0: Yeah, and uh, when you were saying about Hollywood uh, that some of them, you know, just saw these helpless quote-unquote hicks uh, you know they they came to their rescue or whatever and then there's the other part that uh, really knew what, what they were all about and I think that kind of breaks up possibly really what Hollywood is there's the gullible actors that will you know jump on a cause because it's hip and then there are the people that are really controlling everything and know what's going on
1: yeah that's a good point I agree with that I mean, there definitely is a the dark hand of the Illuminati or the Satanists from Hollywood involved in this whole case. I mean there's there's definitely you know, there's so much money. They said the amount of money that this the West Memphis Three was able to raise was a a war chest of about ten to twenty million dollars. I mean, it's a, an enormous amount of money, and that bought the best lawyers, the best experts, some superb really superb public relations people. And it's one part of this case that's important is just to show how you can take somebody who's about as evil as they get and turn them into an oppressed figure through the manipulation of the American media. Because his public relations guy put him on shows, and I can just—I've looked at so many of these interviews, and it's the same pacing, the same canned responses. So he's—it's almost like a form of propaganda where these journalists aren't even asking any hard questions at all. And to me, it seems like, and what I've heard, is that they're all given, you know, 10 of the same questions, and this guy just knocks them out of the park every time with his kind of canned, prepared responses. So there's definitely a smart hand behind, in my opinion, behind this, and the Illuminati money from Hollywood is definitely, you know, there.
0: Well, uh, why, why do you think this was such a big deal? Do you think that Uh, these guys especially Damien had deeper connections uh why what was the big deal of getting them out of jail and and, you know what I I mean
1: it's a great point there there is definitely a mystery there they they seem to there was this sympathetic train and I think that you know people found it worthwhile for them to get one of their own I mean Eccles is 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 a very interesting character and uh it's almost like he's part of the satanic underground or something. I don't really have to get the the full gist, but, you know, I think that these guys, I mean, Johnny Depp, for me, and after I researched Depp and his associations with Hunter S. Thompson and uh, the movies he's been in, From Hell, he's been in The Ninth Gate, he's associated with Roman Polanski, who has satanic ties. You know, I think that, and, and after the release of Damien Eccles these guys have like four matching tattoos some of them that are magical tattoos so I think that there's some type of connection on on an ideological level like a satanic connection that that some people definitely have an attachment to them as somebody who you know really wants to 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 proselytize I think the Eccles has this idea I mean it's really Odd, but when he goes out on these these book tours, it's almost like a rock star. You know, people clap, and I've got people people fawn over this guy like he's a hero. And I think that the Hollywood people might have wanted to create this kind of anti-hero out of Eccles after they got him out. Is is kind of what I'm what I'm thinking or you know suspecting?
0: Well, who do you think is really behind all of this in Hollywood? Is it? I mean, the, the Illuminati, something. Bigger. Well, I,
1: I don't know. I, I mean, I think that he ha, He for me, one of the interesting things about this case is he. There's some kind of underground that they they're fighting to keep this whole myth alive in the public, and anybody who says anything to the contrary has been bullied, intimidated, threatened. Uh, I just published an article today about a, a crime writer by the name of Trench Re- Reynolds who's had. You know, they're threatening him with a lawyer and they're keeping records on him. And uh, so I think that the support that he's getting is coming from a group of occultists that know that Eccles is an occultist. So, uh, you know, occultists of all different stripes. And, you know, that that brings a really scary uh, element when you think that there is a networked satanic kind of underground or occult underground or even of above ground group that are 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 keeping this kind of deception alive.
0: How deep do you think the rabbit hole goes? I mean, is there a, a like a, a Illuminati that's been around for years that have been secretly controlling everything?
1: Uh, it's a good question. I mean, one of the interesting things about him is that the person who who argued or actually. Uh, made the deal for them to get out in 2011 is a dc attorney which is really odd you know and dc is like the occult power center of the world and what's a dc attorney working you know for this guy supposedly pro, pro bono you know that's odd so i do think that and there's all kinds of odd things that they like if you go to my website at wwwoccult com. You can see an interview with uh, Piers Morgan. Everybody kind of knows Piers Morgan now yeah. after all of his conflict. But he has um, Damien Eccles on there and Eccles is making a, a secret society hand gesture that you know I learned about. It's called The Sign of Silence. It's about keeping your mouth shut. And almost every major occult organization has some kind of doctrine of silence. But he's... go. I mean, and he, and Eccles looks like a ghoul on the show, literally like he just came out of a casket or something like that. And Piers Morgan is like, Oh, you look so normal. You know, you just look like an upstanding guy. You're so smart. You're not this satanic. Except, I mean, the exact opposite of what he is. And I'm just thinking there, somebody's whitewashing him, you know, Piers Morgan is a puppet. So somebody is putting this guy out there and, you know, allowing this deception to continue The 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 uniformity of the, the national media in maintaining this lie is literally astonishing. I looked at some of the movie reviews for West of Memphis, which is a documentary. Nobody looked at some of the critical stuff. One-third of that movie is essentially like lawyers on screen. I mean, that's disturbing enough. Like, what the heck is a lawyer getting on there stating a case to a pub, to a passive public? That doesn't make any sense On a, if you're assuming an objective documentary that's based on objective facts. I mean, it's so biased. It's such a joke. And then also, same with his book. Like, he's he's had his book reviewed, which is called Life After, After Death, by huge, well-respected, um, you know, uh, literary publications like Kirkus Review, New York Times Book Review, and they barely even scratched the surface of the original elements of the case, which are easily... Discernible. I mean, all you have to do is look it up on the Internet. It's very available. So it makes me think that there's something else involved. I mean, is it a, is it a breakdown of journalism, or is there something deeper and darker there that, you know, this is what we're going to write about this guy?
0: Yeah, it, it makes you wonder, you know, what's really going on. You were mentioning those handshakes, and you, I've seen a lot of those videos before uh, of all these famous people, of presidents, doing this same handshake. You know, uh, right. the, it, it seems like they all are in it, know something that we don't.
1: No, I would totally agree with that. And, you know, I've written some articles. If you want to go to my WordPress site, it's occult911.wordpress.com. I have a number of signs that this guy's make. He makes something that's right out of Crowley, which is this kind of horns of pan where you stick your two thumbs up and emulate like the horns of pan as a representation of the devil. And he he's made it, the weird thing is that he's made this even before he got arrested for the murders in 1993, which means that he had some connection with something, you know, he knew something even before he was arrested. And he was networked before then. I know that on the court, in the court records, there were elements that he'd spent time in Memphis with some eccentrics, and he had been around. He wasn't, you know, a country bumpkin. He was 18. It's just, you know, fairly old Uh He was, you know, no longer a minor when he was arrested. But he's making all kinds of hand gestures, hand signs, the same stuff that Crowley had. You know, Crowley himself wrote in his book, and this is my first book. He wrote a book called Confessions, which was like his autobiography. But he said he knew so many hand gestures and secret hand signs and handshakes, he couldn't remember them all. And he had so many, like, medals from... You know, secret organizations that it would bury an elephant. I mean, this, these guys know a lot of the stuff that people who are not part of any secret society aren't aware of, including myself. I'm not a part of any group like that, but I've learned over time to look for the insignia. And Johnny Depp makes a lot of the same ones, kind of the six 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 hand sign and the sign of silence and all this other stuff. And it, you know, it's so, you know, it's clearly there. It's 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 been manifested. And it's on my, you know, you can see it on my site. It's clear as day.
0: When you see all these celebrities doing these, you know, supposed uh, secret society handshakes or making symbols, uh, one that sticks out in mind that happened recently was Beyonce supposedly flashing some sort of Illuminati symbol during the halftime of the Super Bowl. Um, And then her husband, Jay-Z, likes to, Put a lot of that symbolism into his stuff. Um, right. But it kind of begs the question are they really part of a secret society or are they just trying to be hip uh, and cool? And they think that, oh, it's cool that the Illuminati is cool, that it's cool that there's uh, a secret society controlling the world and they want to be part of it. Um, and I think that a lot of these celebrities really don't understand how evil. Uh, these societies are and what they're really, you know, trying to get into.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it's kind of the hip thing to put the insignia and stuff like that. You don't know how deep these guys go, but there definitely are people who just have adopted it, you know, because of the, you know, the darkness. I think that Jay-Z is pretty knowledgeable. He's clearly a Mason and he's adopted some of Crowley's kind of stuff. This eye in the triangle um, meant, you know, the same thing on the back of the dollar bill. And, uh, he had a, he was in a music video with something that said, do what thou wilt," which is Crowley's kind of famous human freedom dictum, you know, do what thou will it should be the whole of the law. So, you know, I think that there, I think that those, a lot of those people are being handled and that they're, they're putting it out there in the public more and more. I don't, I think for example, Lady Gaga is clearly a witch. She knows so much and she's done a lot of deep occultism stuff. Like she came in on that green egg. I don't know if you know about that, but she said she was in there in 72 hours. Well, that's directly references the Goetia, which is Solomonic magic, the 72 demons that rule the world. And that's one thing that I keyed into about Damien Eccles is he did the same ritual It's called the book of Abramel and the mage, the same ritual ritual that Crowley did, which is to try to come into control of those 72 demons. Crowley did it in a, in a house called Bullskin Manor in the very North of Scotland. And in, Damien Eccles' book, he did the same thing while he was in his jail. You know, it's a long ritual. It's grueling. You have to do a lot of different stuff, but, you know, there's another tie there. But, you know, so I think that there's probably part of the, the lower level, you know, uh, entertainment people who don't know as much about the cult, And then there's some really, I think the hidden hand of the of the Illuminati really is there. Like, I know that, like, for example, Rick Rubin he's like a famous producer, he's produced so many albums, stuff like that, that guy's really hardcore, mm-hmm. and he hangs out with a guy who's been seen with Damien Eccles, who's a guy by the name of Genesis P. Orridge, so, you know, those guys, and this guy, P. Orridge, is about as hardcore satanic revolutionary as you can get.
0: Well, yeah, that I, I know a lot about that Lady Gaga, uh, and, and Kesha, and um, I, I, there was a video of Lady Gaga doing uh, like a Mason handshake with um, Jay Leno, and then making a joke on one of those late-night television shows about swearing to Satan and all of that. Right. Um, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And do you do you really think that there is a secret society uh, controlling everything that that we we don't really know about?
1: I mean, that's a good question. I think that there are a lot of secret societies of different stripes that uh, use those networks to their advantage to solidify political and cultural power. And I do think that it's initiatory, and I do think that there is something, if you want to get ahead, it's to join those groups. And it's an end around against what we see on on the front of the political process. And I spent three years in D.C., and that fully commit, convinced me that that's the case. That you know the whole political process is fully rigged, uh, and there's tons of stuff there. And the way to get ahead is you know either to be born as some of these secret societies or be part of it and do their bidding. And that's really the real core of the power. And you know I think that the found, the founder of, or one of the founders of American Masonry said as much. Uh, Albert Pike, you know said we're going to put our own people in as president from here on out. and I think that most of the presidents since mid nineteen fifty year have been masons, which is usually just an intro, even including uh, even including uh, Barack Obama. you know, he's been seen with a Masonic ring and if you look at his pictures inside the Oval Office, he has a picture of the torch of uh, the Statue of Liberty which represents you know, the light of Aurora or Lucifer and Liberty and all this stuff. So, you know, they have their own things. But so, yeah, I do think that and, you know, they're ruthless enough to maintain their power as well. You know, it's a lot of people who want to go through the political process and maintain stuff through the political process, want to do things by the book. You know, somebody who's in a secret society who doesn't care about, you know, cheating people or gunning people down or assassinations, you know, it's an end around. And you can see that in a lot of political assassinations or assassination attempts. Even John F. Kennedy, there's all kinds of Masonic involvement there, and the the attempted killing of Reagan. And I mean, there's just so many assassinations that have an occult element to them or a secret society element.
0: Well, you you think that uh, the, the secret society uh, had involvement in the Kennedy assassination?
1: Absolutely, I think that a lot of those guys were secret society involved, and uh you know I think that that's kind of what bound them together was their kind of uh grouping those eastern elites eastern you know skull and bones and you know george bush senior was supposedly on site and you know let's uh, see h l hunt he was he was familiar with the occult he wrote three occult novels h l hunt was a uh, uh, E. Howard Hunt, excuse me, was a, uh, actually a novelist before the Kennedy assassination. And he worked with John Foster, or John Dulles, and he wrote occult novels, like the Sorcerers and all the stuff like that. So he knew about a lot of, you know, the secret society occult elements. So I do think that, and that's how they kind of covered it all up, you know? And so I do think if you read, King Kill 33 and John Shelby Downward's book about the Kennedy assassination and the weird synchronicities and you know it's uh, I, it's my understanding a lot of the assassins who were there they walked off the street and into a Masonic building right, right off the Dealey Plaza uh,
0: Is there a secret society that is controlling the American government that uh, some people say that it's the Illuminati and the Illuminati uh, this this is mainstream knowledge there was an Illuminati that was founded in 1776 um, according to like mainstream history that it, it doesn't exist anymore but do you think it still exists the Illuminati that was founded in 1776 do you th- still think it exists and it still is very much active in uh, American politics behind the curtain
1: that's a good question I mean I think that the ideas of Weishaupt still exist I don't think the Illuminati is maintained in its in its former incarnation but the ideas and the people who have tried to adapt or adopt it are around and try to institute it and you know a lot of these occult societies are pretty fractious but like Crowley who I know a lot about he you know tried to Uh, integrate Illuminati ideas into his secret society, which was the OTO or the AA. So, you know, and then it kind of went on, even uh, Robert Anton Wilson talked about the Illuminati. So, you know, it's really kind of how you analyze it is that the group or the idea, I think the ideals are definitely there. Illuminati is illumined by Satan, but the actual original group, I wouldn't know, but I don't think... I mean, from all my reading and everything I read, I don't think they're, they're as, as they, you know, so there's some continuum of that group that's still alive from 1776, but maybe there are. I mean, I heard Skull and Bones was, an, was essentially an Illuminati, like true Illuminati organization from, you know, that took its cues from, you know, Weishaupt's ideas back in 1776. <laughs> But, there, you know, that's what
0: I heard. There was just an article out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was by The Atlantic saying that uh, Skull and Bones is not just for white males anymore. They are, uh, this year's class of Skull and Bones initiates has like uh, two females, two gay men, and like a transgender person, and they're trying to make uh, skull and Bones, hip now. I guess I don't know if you wow. saw that article.
1: No, but I heard that they were trying to become more international. So maybe that's they're trying to just ex- extend their franchise. But you know, I don't I don't really know that much about Skull and Bones. But you know, they. Uh, I mean, that's an incredibly powerful group, no doubt about it.
0: Do you think that a lot of main uh, modern uh, events that really shaped history? had a hand of a secret society.
1: I do. I think a lot of them really, there's a lot of secret society involvement in, I mean, we can go back to nine 11, which is full of occult significance and secret society stuff, uh, which is totally a fraud. No 19 terrorists didn't do that. They didn't drop building seven. I mean, you can see the attempted assassination of Reagan. You can see the attempted assassination of Ford, which is by like the Manson family. Um, the chief beneficiary would have been a Rockefeller if he died. The vice president. You can see all kinds of stuff: Iran-Contra, the financial frauds. I mean, there's. It's it's there. You know, once you scratch the surface and look for it, and look for it yourself, and not be told by some media conglomerate what the truth is. You know, you start to realize that these people are networked, and they're networked in a way that, you know, isn't as obvious to uh, the, the public.
0: What, what do you think happened uh,
1: in 9-11? Well, I think that uh, the Bush administration essentially created a false flag terror event and, uh, in, a, in the attempt for a, a wide variety of objectives to create war, to manipulate the public, to solidify power, to create a financial you know, chaos that would they would benefit from, um, to create social change. And a lot of the ideas are very kind of Crowley. I mean, Crowley's ideal numbers were integrated throughout the entire event, and you can read that in my first book. Crowley's ideal number was 11, which is the number of chaos and death. And, you know, it happened on September 11th. The two buildings were definitely a cult in nature. Uh, they were 110 stories tall, which is an 11. They're at 11 against the skyline. I mean, the first plane was Flight 11. Then it was Flight 77, 93. 93 is Crowley's favorite number. Another one, and in the Kabbalah, they both represent Thalema and Agape, which is his idea of will and love. And he always said, you know, love under will, and do what thou will shall be a whole of the law, which is 11 words, 11 syllables. And that's all integrated. So somebody definitely had a long-term planning on that event and integrated occult ideas. And nobody from, no Muslim terrorist did that. And a lot of those guys had doubles and triples. There was, it was just a full intelligence op, secret society op. And um, like I said, I mean, the whole reason was to institute a vast suite of, you know, political levers, put in Homeland Security. You know, just, it, and, and it really goes back to Crowley. And really what it was is Crowley's ideas he was not an egalitarian. He's a classist from England. He did not have anything in his blood that was anything close to being an American, like working hard hard and earning your own money. He came from wealth, never worked a day in his life. He really believed in an aristocratic revolution. And I think that that was, you know, I think that's seen in the event that, you know, there was a small, we even talk about it in the public parlance right now, about the 1% and the 99%. Yeah. So... You see that aristocrats really took all the money, took all the benefits, and made everybody else starve. And you see the financial fraud. I mean, nobody got caught and still hasn't been caught from all this mortgage fraud that benefited only the banks. I mean, they could have paid off everybody else's debt, but they paid off the bank's debt in the amount of trillions and trillions of dollars and basically gave the shaft to the public. And it's still out there. So, you know, this is clearly intentional, and it's it's something that they could have fixed if they wanted to. But they want to have the structure of the society that way, intentionally. Uh, but they're all silent about it because they're all secret society guys who you know how to keep their mouth shut because that's part of their doctrine. You know, I do, you know, just as in some, I do think that 9 was fake and, you know, it has a lot of Crowley's ideas in the event and the objectives that they wanted to achieve after the event.
0: Well, go, go into detail uh, and explain to the listeners uh, who Alistair Crowley was.
1: Alistair Crowley was uh, born in 1875. He died in 1947. He was a only child of a very wealthy family in England uh, who had kind of a brewery business, and they were also part of a Plymouth Brethren, which was essentially Puritans. Uh, they were a Christian group, but he rebelled against it in his teens uh, while he was at Cambridge. You know, He was at one of the best schools in England. He was gift, very gifted. He knew multiple languages, but for some reason, he made a turn and told you know wrote down that he wanted to become the right-hand man of the de- right-hand man of the devil, and really set off and he had when his parents died, he had a significant amount of money, and somebody estimated it to be around twenty million dollars in today's amount, you know today's money, so he had a lot of money, a lot of talent, and the will to become you know he wanted to be, become known, he really wanted to be famous and, you know, become the leading light in the occultism, and he really achieved a lot. I mean, he was an incredibly prolific writer. He wrote on a variety of different subjects, journalism, he wrote plays, he wrote books, he also wrote magical stuff about, you know, contacting entities. He was always involved in kind of spirit channeling, and uh, essentially what he did is, you know, wrote everything down and was one of the first people to experiment with the use of drugs and write about it. He was one of the first people to experiment with ritual magic. He became a member of the golden dawn, which was an influential magical group in the late 19th century in England. And, uh, really was a springboard for him and his, occult. he essentially took all of their ideas. And the golden dawn was like, the idea of the golden dawn was to create an occult, a new occult age that used the tarot spirit channeling ritual magic and you know, and they were all essentially post-masonic people—people people who'd gone through the masonic system and wanted to do something beyond that. Well, Crowley kind of used the Golden Dawn as a springboard to start his own occult uh, group called the AA, and he did all kinds of ritual magic. Wrote about it, like I said. He also became head of the OTO, which was a German secret society, and he uh, he be, he wrote one of his more famous books was uh, magic and theory and practice K was an important letter to him. It's the 11th letter of the alphabet. So he wrote magic with M A G I C K uh, to differentiate it from, you know, what we see at a magic show, but, uh, magic and theory and practice kind of brought his ideas so people could read them. He believed that, you know, people have energy and you do magical rituals to release that energy and store it and have it for your benefit. um, And he just really was a satanic worshipper for the ages. And he really believed in creating a new aeon, a new age of, you know, this magical world. And he hated Christianity. He wrote some of the most blasphemous writings ever. One is uh, uh, called The World's Tragedy. The World's Tragedy is Jesus Christ. He also, you know, there are writings that he had about child sacrifice. And, um, I mean, he really was a giant. And because of all of his dedication... I mean, he never worked. You know, people who follow into the occult usually make it through to Crowley. They see Crowley. He, Crowley believed himself to be a prophet of Satan, which is why I titled my book Prophet of Evil. He really thought that he was his right-hand man and behaved in it his whole life. So, you know, people who follow that route usually make their way back to Crowley and emulate him. So they do the writing themselves. They become poetic. Crowley was a poet. They paint. They, you know, do what they want. They, you know, believe in a slave state, just like Crowley did. Crowley wrote something called Liber 77, which is kind of his rights of man, which is you can do whatever you want, and if anybody thwart, thwarts those rights, kill them. Uh, you know, and he really kind of lived his life like that. He did. He, he was a wrecking ball. People who associated with him he usually, you know, was vampiric. He sucked their money dry and left them behind, and you know, two of his wives killed themselves two were in an insane asylum i mean it's just a the guy was a and he was a pedophile just a mess he Um,
0: sounds like a real piece of work
1: (laughs) yeah so he's just a real monster but there's certain people out there who identify or want to be like him you know in the occult and damien Eccles of the west memphis three is one of those one of those people
0: well do you think uh that a lot of these modern day occultists you know George H. W. Bush, George Bush, maybe uh, Dame, Damian Eccles. Uh, you think a lot of these uh, modern-day s- supposed occultists got a lot of their inspiration from Aleister Crowley?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I definitely write that, and I think I prove it in my first book. In the second book, I prove that Damian Eccles is influenced by Crowley. Uh, so my first book, I talk about George Bush Senior. He, you know, seventy-seven was an important number to Crowley. Well, George Bush's like nuclear. Uh, was it nuclear uh, aircraft carrier? The number seventy-seven. He has he's walked around with seventy-sevens on, on him. So, I think that you know, and he comes from School and Bones. And what I've learned too is a lot of these secret societies have their own libraries. You know, yeah. before this is before before the internet age when you could really do research. Like, you couldn't tie a lot of these things together before because you didn't have, you know, you had a controlled mass media and you didn't have the Internet where you could compare and and build off of other people's conclusions, you know. So you can now, and you can see that these guys have their own libraries and they had access to private information that they kept secret for their own benefit. And Crowley's elitism is attractive to other elites, you know, because Crowley really, I mean, he had quotes that are shocking, but he basically said, you know, the public is essentially a sheep to be sheared, and we use them for their, you know, he, he said, we use them for their wool and their their meat, and we keep them with the quiet wisdom of the cattle. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, I do think that, you know, these people were, have clearly, in their actions and deeds, they clearly have been influenced by Crowley. I,
0: I think that the, the Bushes... You know that they've really their family going back to Prescott Bush and then George H. W. Bush, George Bush, really shaped a lot of modern day uh, events that changed the course of history. Um, people will argue in the conspiracy community that it was really George H. W. Bush that uh, when he he was the head of the CIA during. Um, the kennedy assassination so a lot of people say that he was uh, gave the go-ahead to kill kennedy and he has a lot of conflicting stories about where he was when kennedy was actually killed uh and and of course during his presidency uh he came right out and said he wanted a new world order and it was going to succeed and then during george w bush's presidency there was 9-11 so it seems that the bush family is really at, at the center of a lot of uh, conspiracy and modern day events that have shaped the course of history.
1: And I would agree with that. I mean, it's, 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 I'm glad that you referenced that because he gave that speech 11 years to the day of nine 11 on September 11th, 1990. So you could see this long-term planning if you, you know, I don't see those things at random. And that's also in my first book. So, you know, I talk a lot about Bush Sr. And I for me, he's really kind of an American Caesar. Uh he's been involved in so much. He was involved in Reagan. I mean, he essentially ran the Reagan White House, so that's 1980 from 1988, and then he became president. Clinton is his is uh I heard that Clinton was he was the handler of Clinton when Clinton was in uh England and that's you know, at a the Rhodes Scholar as a Rhodes Scholar. So that is the connection between Bush and Clinton. And then he puts his son into office between, you know, 2000 and 2008. So, you know, that's a long time to be right in the middle of that. And and Bush has networked. I mean, he's got the whole Skull and Bones network and CIA network. I mean, he's a really incredible, incredible human being. I don't think he's a good person, but I mean... He's always, he's there, you know, and then going back to the the Kennedy assassination, I, there's, in my book, I talk about, there's a researcher by the name of John Ankey, H-A-N-K-E-Y, argues that Bush was on site for November 22nd, you know, so, 1963, and, you know, that's 1122, those are like multiples of 11, Crowley's number, so, you know, and there's even that argument, I don't know if you've heard this, but his wife... Barbara is rumored to be Alistair Crowley's own daughter. Have you heard that?
0: I have not heard that. That's very yes. interesting. So she was born
1: Crowley was in Paris. It, Crowley was always attack attracted to Bohemian environments. So, you know, I guess what it would be in a bohemian environment today, like some city like Montreal or you know, certain parts of Boston, you know, I don't know, San Francisco. But he would always go. The, one of the biggest places of the Bohemian environment in his age was Paris. Paris was like the happening place for the Roaring Twenties, and there were artists and painters and all this other stuff there. So Curly was there in the mid-twenties. And the rumor is, is that uh, the real uh, Barbara Pierce, her mother was a person by the name of Pauline Robinson, and she was known to have been in uh... Paris in 1925, when Crowley was there with a the, the literary friend, staying with after he got kicked out of his magical fraternity in uh, Sicily. He had this place called the Abbey of philemar or the Abbey of the Will, and he was kicked out by Mussolini. And he kind of limped back and hung out in Paris, but he was doing all types of what he you know investigations into you know drug taking and sex magic, and he needed essentially servitors, and the rumor is Pauline Robinson was one of them, and, you know, she was this elitist. You know, Rich, her husband, was uh, the head of McCall's magazine. So, she, you know, she was blowing off steam with Crowley and came back, and nine months later, Barbara Pierce was born. Hmm. And and then, you know, her she was kind of George Bush Sr., and her got together at a very early age. It just has all the you know, earmarks of kind of an elite relationship in the sense that they were put together and, uh, you know, they, they are all into breeding and good breeding and, you know, all that other stuff. You know, it's not like, it didn't have that feel of like they met at a bar, you know, when George Bush Sr. was 21. It, felt, it has that feel of an arranged marriage. But, so there's, and, and you know, when you look at all the crueltyism that suffuses the Bush Sr. and, and Jr.'s life, you know, there's there's something there. And, and the mother, Barbara Pierce Bush, is also a piece of work. I mean... Yeah. So...
0: Well, do, you, uh, do you know if uh, Aleister Crowley and Prescott Bush knew each other at all?
1: I wish. I wish I could find that out. I mean, I'm still kind of, you know... I wish... There's all kinds of strange connections between these people. Uh, and, I mean, Crowley was really well oriented with a lot of important people he was in a correspondence with HL Mencken who was a famous writer he knew Hemingway knew of him him uh, the guy who wrote the Razor's Edge uh, he's an uh, important writer I can't remember his name right now The Razor's Edge by oh good lord but one of another interesting point about Crowley who he did have an affiliation with one of his followers who wrote a book about Crowley is called *The Star in the West was a guy by the name of JFC Fuller he was also kind of an elite historian. He came up with all these kind of ideas for the British military. But he was one of two British English, you know, Englishmen who were invited to Hitler's 50th birthday party. <sighs> so there's a direct tie between Crowley. You know, it's like two degrees of separation. Yeah. And he and Crowley kept correspondence. I've actually been to, you know, some of the places where Crowley's writings are and looked at his original documents. So... Uh, I've seen the correspondence that went through and, you know, back then, if you're a literary person, you keep in contact with people. It's like the, the old day email, you know, you send off postcards and letters all the time. And Curley had, had secretaries. He was such a snob that he, he could just dictate things like a president and somebody would write it off and send it. So I've seen the correspondence between him and JFC uh, Fuller that took place for decades. And he also worked for a guy, I mean, it just, the, the, the connections are amazing. Like, he knew a guy by the name of George Virek, who was a, who was a German-American. He was the first guy to interview Hitler. He was a, kind of a Hitler sympathizer, and he was a German sympathizer. Um, and uh, they started a magazine where the, I mean, it's just so bizarre, but the writer of Traum Novel*, which Eyes Wide Shut was based on, wrote for both Crowley and this guy, George Ferec. So, do you know, have you heard of, like, the the basis of Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah. So Eyes Wide Shut was originally a... Tra- uh, the, the title's is Tromno Barrel. Is an Eastern European... Uh, writ, written by an Eastern European guy. I can't remember his name offhand, but he wrote for... And that's in my book, too. So you can see these old connections between people who have had an effect upon our current cultural world. I mean, it's amazing. So, And Hitler's, Hitler's and Crowley's ideas were very similar. I wrote a piece on that about how similar their ideologies were, where they both believed in a slave state, they both believed in breeding people, they both believed in... You know, they were anti-Protestant but pro-Catholic, which is weird because Crowley had, didn't care about the Catholic Church and and Hitler was a Catholic. And the overlapping similarities in their ideas are pretty amazing. So... I don't think Crowley was as much of a uh, hater of Jews like Hitler was, but they still had that ruthlessness and uh, you know viciousness. It was, it's 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 there's a and then that there are some arguments and some historians have made that I need to go back and verify again, but that Hitler has quoted Crowley, which would make a lot of sense. Uh, and, and Hitler was. Part of some secret societies right after the World War One. The one was the Thule Society, T-H-U-L-E. But Crowley was the head of a German secret society that whole time. It, it wasn't his secret society. The O.T.O. comes from Germany. So, and he spent time in Germany in the Weimar Re- Republic in the early '30s. So, you know, there's a lot of and it, Crowley too. By the way, was also a spy. I mean, he was clearly involved. I when I first started researching Crowley, I didn't know that, but he's clearly involved in. Sending information back to England about, you know, issues that were important to England. He was in United States spying on the Irish Republic, people who were sympathetic with Ireland. He saw Mussolini's overthrow of the Italian government in Rome. He was right there at the Weimar Republic when the whole all these changes in Hitler was coming to power. Uh, he he took an adventure to uh, Russia to check that out. So Crowley clearly keeping tabs. And Crowley was one of the first people to circumnavigate the the globe. I mean, it's really amazing. He's an amazing character that uh, really has influenced the 20th century. And so many people have followed Crowley. Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, uh, Timothy Leary, who created the 60s revolution, L. Ron Hubbard, started Scientology. These are all people who are Crowleyites. So it's it's important to study to see how our culture has literally been shaped by these people.
0: Well, it seems like there's so many things you could go off into here. There's, it's like a spider web of, you know, all these different connections that he had. But uh, I think the big question here is, what is the end game for all of this?
1: I think it's basically the New World Order. I mean, that's a good point. They want to do to the world what Hitler did to Germany. You know, war, slave state, population reduction, um... And, you know, they're already doing it through the air, food, and water. They're doing it through vaccines. So the people at the top are clearly running the whole world like a fiefdom, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I think that they just need somebody to make that push into the, their final ideal world. And it's uh, it's not going to be good. You know, they want to have a rule of an aristocracy over a her- just like a feudal state. You, to make you, the world a big fetal state you know?
0: do you think it's it's coming you know very soon? I mean, there's a lot of signs that you could point to uh you know nine eleven happened and the Department of Homeland Security they're now uh buying all these bullets uh and then there was the drones. Do you think it's coming to a head very soon?
1: I don't know, but the agenda's still you know going, and I think that Obama. Is really continuing the agenda. He's he might as well be George Bush Jr. He hasn't really changed squat. He's actually just kept it worse by keep it going. I mean, they're coming up with more fake terror and FBI stings and you know this bullet thing and trying to grab the gun. Sandy Hook was a total fraud. Yeah, I mean that's a complete joke. I mean people, I think the the American people keyed in on that almost within the first couple of weeks. Like, hold on, this this story doesn't make any sense. Like, I believed it and then I was like, what? Where's this guy? And the story kept changing, so that was really an attempt by our all our political leaders, including the Democrats and the Republicans, to basically defang the American people. And my rationale, or my belief in that, is that you want to take the guns away because they're going to put austerity plans on us, just like they did to Greece and Spain in Europe. You know, uh, you're going to pay for all our mismanagement of this. You know, debt. They have a huge debt problem. Yeah. Seen... And eventually, it's going to come on ahead, and they're going to say, "Oh, guess what." I know we screwed you over for the last 10 years, but now we're going to do it again. Here's another shaft, you know, you know when I've... they're spending money on global. I'm sorry.
0: That's yeah, OK. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say I made the argument at the start of the show today that the the only reason why it hasn't happened sooner and the reason why they're going after the guns so much is because the Second Amendment is really the only thing that's protecting us and what's left, because once the Second Amendment goes, it's going to be a lot easier to get rid of all the other amendments and all of our other rights and really bring in the police state.
1: Yeah, I mean, really hardcore. I totally agree with you. And I think that they had, I mean, the 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 guys had a real agenda, like not just take the guns, but defang i mean there's a bunch of people who are into guns who've ended up ended up dead in suspicious circumstances there's one guy in west virginia who got like tied to a chair and shot in the head and you know these these so it's what it shows is the sophistication of a of the for me the sophisticated implementation of an agenda that has a lot of moving parts it's not just gun grab but also take out the leadership
0: <coughs>
1: excuse me take out the leadership and uh you know cow the people but i think what happened is the people just said no we're not going to do it because we know what happens you know i didn't i don't think the american people were stupid which is good you know and every every time somebody wants to take your guns that should be like why because if the if the american government really cared about the people guns is probably about 15th down on the list of things that are harming us the pharmaceuticals themselves that the whole congress allowed into practice and are giving people multiple pharmaceutical things kill about 150 to 200,000 people a year, Add on top of that all the lousy food and water that we're getting that the government hasn't looked over, which probably give cancer to God knows how many people. So you can't make this argument that Congress is really looking out for our best interest, although Congress makes that. I mean, the government in general makes that argument, which is total hogwash. It's baloney.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I could not have put it better myself but we are actually just about out of time here, William. So could you uh, give us your website if you have one?
1: Um, You can see some of the articles that I've drafted are on my WordPress site. It's occult911.wordpress.com. My website is www.occult911.com. And, uh, you know, my writings are kind of interspersed around on on the Internet beforeitsnews.com allows me to post there. And my books right now are available. Both two books are available on Amazon and Kindle. Uh,
0: Thank you for coming on. Uh, Definitely a very interesting conversation. Uh, We could go on for hours about this, but the show (laughs) is just about over. Uh, Thank you uh, for for coming on again, William.
1: Anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And that is all the time we have for this episode. I expect you all back here next week when I have on dabu Seven who is a pretty big name in the YouTube conspiracy community, uh, to discuss with us a bunch of different topics, uh, but most notably some of the uh, stuff that has happened this week, including but not limited to uh, the Zimmerman case, the airplane crash, and Uh, San Francisco and all the executive orders that Obama has been secretly pushing under the table these past couple weeks. I'm David Kirk, this is In the Dark, and that's all the time we have for tonight.